0: Good morning, and what a joy it is to be in a Thanksgiving season of the year when we can become aware that all is not doom and gloom and death. God has been great and wonderful and good, and this great, loving God of ours is still trying to get our attention. Around the world, the virus is going wildly. Uh, in what seems to be an escapade to destroy human life, but the God in heaven who sustains life has given us triumph in and through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are reminded again, if my people, my people, who are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then... I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. It is our place to humble ourselves before God, to seek His face, to trust Him for His goodness, and to give praise for the triumph that we have in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Thank you for joining us today. It's a pleasure to welcome you. May this be a time of great blessing and refreshing for all of us as the Lord opens the windows of heaven upon us today in this hour. want to say also how grateful we are to the Lord. And I want us just to pause and I want to pray and thank the Lord. You know, I, I tell you folks that, that that in order for us to survive in this business, we've got to pray. Mm-hmm. And, and as we pray, God answers prayer. And as he answers prayer and meets our needs, that, that's how we continue on in this ministry. It's by divine provision. It's by divine providence that we do this, and the the thing that I the thing that I am concerned about is that we do pray, and then God wonderfully, as He did this in a wonderful offering this last week, He provides for our needs in a wonderful way. Then Amen. we we need to take time just to thank Him. Yeah. So let's just take time in right now in the middle of this service to just give thanks to the Lord. Our Father, we want to. Thank you and praise you for being mindful of our ongoing needs and for the faithfulness of your people and for your provision to your people that makes possible their contributions to this ministry. Thank you, Lord, that you are faithful to us as individuals, as families, and as a church. We acknowledge your provision for us with thanksgiving and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. In your Bibles, we're going to look at a marvelous, encouraging psalm. These are days when we need a lot of encouragement, and we get a lot of it out of God's Word. So, Pastor Pelletier will be reading to us today from Psalm 91, Psalm 91 for our Scripture lesson of the morning.
1: Alright, 16 verses here in Psalm 91. Amen. Therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high, because he hath known my name. He shall call upon me. I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. Wonderful promise from God in his word. May God bless the reading of it. The subject
0: that I'm on could be a subject we could stay on for years. The greatness of God. Let me read again from our text and then just follow along. I apologize for the length of the notes. I decided that I needed to publish the whole thing and it's getting very, very lengthy right now. We need to tie it all together. And as we talk about the various applications, the subject of the greatness of God is the foundation for all of this. We're going to continue on today with this message. First Chronicles 16, and we'll begin reading, reading with verse number 8. Give thanks unto the Lord. That's in capital letters. That's Yahweh. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. Sing unto him. Sing psalms unto him. Talk ye of all his wondrous works. Glory ye in his holy name. Let the heart of them rejoice that seek the Lord. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face continually. Remember his marvelous works that he hath done, his wonders and the judgments of his mouth. O ye seed or offspring of Israel, his servant, ye children of Jacob, his chosen ones. He is Yahweh our God. His judgments are in all the earth. Verse 23. Sing unto the Lord all the earth. So forth from day to day his salvation. That's his divine personal intervention. Declare his glory among the heathen, his marvelous works among all nations. For great is the Lord. And greatly to be praised. He is also to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the people are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Glory and honor are in his presence. Strength and gladness are in his place. Ascribe unto the Lord ye kindreds of the people. Ascribe unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the beauty or the shining splendor of holiness." Now, do you know that God loves you? I want to ask you a question. Are are you ready for this? Do you know that God loves you? Most of us would say yes. But my next question is this. Why does God love you? Why does He love me? Why? I know that he loves me because I'm nicer than everybody else. (laughs) No, no, no. Now, you know that that's not true. Why does God love you? Why does God love me? Oh, he loves us because he finds us attractive. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. If you saw the angels in heaven, we might not be so attractive. Why does God love us? I need an answer. God loves us, and John gives us the answer in 1 John. God is love. He loves us because of his own personal nature and character. Now you're awake, I hope, because his nature and his character will never change, and you can know for sure that as long as God is God, he will love you. It's his nature. God is just. That's his nature. God will never do wrong. Everything God does is confined within the parameters of his own being, his own nature. It's wonderful that we are secured in the love of God and in the love of Jesus Christ. Absolutely wonderful. We've been talking about the integrity, the holiness of God. God. His absolute, infinite integrity. This is the foundation for all of our relationship with God.
1: And the more we are like
0: God, the more secure people's relationships with us will be. So so God is holy. And his personal and moral attributes are all totally integrated within each other. None working separately from the other. And it's the person and character of God that's the foundation for His being our Father, our Creator, our Redeemer, our Helper or Enabler in the person of the Holy Spirit. What a God He is. And we followed this through last Sunday. We followed this through to the fact that That God is the measure of man. When we talk about sin. God is the measure of man. Man is not the measure of God. And the problem with man is that he falls short of the character and the attributes of God. All have sinned. That's missed the mark. And they fall short of the glory of God. The glory of God is the measure of everything. The glory of God is the outshining of his divine perfections. God is the measure of man. Man is not... The measure of God. And so we have this word sin that comes in. And sin takes order and turns it into disorder. It takes a cosmos and turns it into chaos. Sin is destructive, absolutely, in everything that it touches. But Adam brought us into this sin in the garden. He made a choice. He made a choice to listen to Satan instead of God. And the whole thing was messed up. And you and I are born and conceived in sin and iniquity, according to the psalmist. In sin, my mother conceived me. So we have the various manifestations of sin. And we've talked about these words as some of these words in the Greek New Testament. To miss the mark. Or to refuse to listen to God. To substitute your ways for His ways. uh, To... Break God's law, to act contrary to his law, to pass over the lines that God has set up, to fall beside or near something, to go outside the fence into somebody else's property and do something that's not right for you to do. It's called trespass. And so we're confronted with sin. And so last Sunday we talked about God's wonderful provision and response to our wickedness and sin. And we gave you two words. One was forgiveness. A blessed, precious word. Not used often in the New Testament in regard to salvation. It's used a lot in regard to the believer's walk with God. But also for our salvation. Remission or forgiveness of sins. Where God gathers up all of our sins. Now, again, we've got to pause here. Not some of our sins. But all of our sins. Not sins that we know about. All the sins that... God knows about. God gathers up all of those sins and He removes them. He sends them away. He dismisses them away from us. He disconnects them from us. That's forgiveness of sins. Through Jesus Christ, His work on the cross and His shed blood. Our sins are totally removed from us as far as the east is from the west. And I don't know if you've ever phoned far enough to the east to where you met the west you never did it's impossible you keep going and you never do catch it that's that's god's forgiveness then we talked about the word justified justification which means that god ignores not one sin god cannot pass over one sin god cannot let us get away with one sin in a lifetime Every sin must be accounted for. And in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, wonderfully, wonderfully, he was a propitiation, a full satisfaction for our sins. He paid the full penalty, the full judgment, the full price for our sins until there was nothing left to pay. So God judicially brings us into court and judgment and he begins to list our sins until until the last one is listed. everyone, Jesus said, I died for that. I died for that. I died for that. I paid for that. That's paid for, my Father. Is there anything? No, there's nothing left. And we are acquitted, totally acquitted, of the guilt of all of our sins. Marvelous, wonderful justification by faith in Jesus Christ And by faith alone, there isn't anything you can do by your works to accomplish this. Nothing. But God did it in Jesus Christ because he loved us. So we went to page 8 of the notes. Good people stumble badly over God's amazing provision of forgiveness and justification. A good life and good works can be an enormous stumbling block. They produce pride and arrogance. And we talked, and I've been reading in the Gospels lately, read through the Gospel of Matthew, and it just jumped out page after page after page. Jesus was in trouble with the Pharisees and the religious people. He wasn't in trouble with the sinners and and the wayward. He was in trouble with the religious people because he was willing to, to receive sinners. This, this, I, I shook my head in amazement. I said, how can this be? Now, if, are you awake? Truly religious people know they're sinners. And they do things to atone for their sins. Good works. They, they, they do, do sacraments. Good Religious people do all kinds of things. They do things because of the guilt of sin in their lives. Am I right about that? That they wouldn't be religious if they didn't. They try to live good life. They try to do good. They try to keep the commandment. They, they try to do all of these things because they know they've got to appease God somehow about their sins. These are religious people. So if if a, if a Pharisee was genuinely religious, he would have made many sac many animals would have died in the temple for his sins. So he would be a real debtor to God for his own sins if he had any sense about it see, the problem is, as we grow and grace get nearer to the Lord, there's less of the sin in our lives. We, we, we become less aware of how much we depend uh, on the forgiveness and the justification and the grace of God in our lives. This happens to us. And we begin to compare ourselves with other people. Mm-hmm. Dangerous stuff it is. And when we we see another person stumble, and we don't stumble in that area, and we think we're better because we don't stumble in that, but we stumble in areas they don't stumble in, right. we begin to we give, we begin to build this edifice of self righteousness. Mm-hmm. It's a dangerous thing. It's a dangerous thing. That's what the Pharisees did. So we read from Matthew nine. Gee, it came to pass. Jesus was reclining at the table in Levi's house and reading the New American Standard. Here behold many tax collectors and sinners came were dining with Jesus' his disciples. Those sinners here they were they were the bottom. They were the bottom of the social order. They were the prostitutes, they were they were the bad people. Okay? They were the bad people. Why is your teacher now notice and King James says master, okay? But the word master there refers to a master teacher, okay? It doesn't refer to one who is a lord over it, but it refers to a teacher, a teaching master. Why is your teacher eating? Now, wait a minute now. From whom are you supposed to learn in life? From your who? The teacher. Is that right? Why is your teacher eating with the tax collectors and sinners, maybe we can answer because he's trying to teach you something. (laughs) Maybe if he's trying to teach you something, you should be learning something. Is that so? Is that so? When Jesus heard this, he, he said, it's not healthy people that need the doctor, but people that are sick. Now he said, go and learn what this means. You have a lesson to learn. I'm trying to teach you compassion on sinners. May I ask you as an individual, if God was not compassionate with sinners, where would you be and where would I be? That's right. So he's trying to teach us. Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners, these prostitutes, these awful sinners? Well, he's trying to teach us. Those who are sick, Don't need the doctor, but not well people. Go learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice. I did not come to call righteous people, but sinners. So now, we have, as we went through it again, and I'm going to go back to the the parable of of the prodigal son in just a moment here again, and then we're going to move on to a further application in our own personal lives. But in Luke 15... We're out of Matthew's gospel now, and we're into Luke's gospel. And the same thing is happening in the first verse of chapter 15. Uh, All the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near to him to listen to him. Both the Pharisees and the scribes. Now these are the religious people for whom multitudes of animals had died and sacrificed for their personal sins. And the Old Testament sacrificial system under which they were living. Alright? They're they're now starting to grumble. This man receives sinners and eats with them. Well, now wait a minute. How do they claim the privilege of being accepted by God? And eating in the temple sacrifices? When they're denying this same forgiveness to other people. And Jesus gives three very well-known parables in response to this situation. This man is receiving sinners and eating with them. Wow! So Jesus gives three parables here, and I get part of the parable of the prodigal son just following that, but I'm going to go to the next page for just a moment. And, and we're going to note uh, here... I'm looking for the place in my notes, but there are three illustrations of forgiveness in this particular in, the, in this particular chapter. You'll notice that the theme of this chapter is God's forgiveness. God's universal and total forgiveness, the love of God for sinners. Now remember I said just a moment ago, and I, I haven't lost my thought here. I said just a moment ago, Why does God love you and why does God love me? What is the only logical, rational explanation for that? It's the fact that God is love. And these people had no concept of the love of God for sinners. And they were sinners, but they couldn't identify as such. This is amazing. This is amazing what happens to our thinking you have the love of God for sinners. So first of all, you have a parable a parable of a lost sheep. The shepherd has a hundred sheep. He loses one of them. What does he do? Oh, forget about it. That's just one. Tomorrow we'll lose another. Ah, we'll, we'll have fifty by the time six months is over. We'll, we'll have a... Some, some, no, 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 no. If the shepherd is a real shepherd, every sheep, every sheep counts. That's what Jesus is saying in that parable. Every sheep counts. You don't say the ones with the nicer wool, they're, they're, they count. But the ones with not so good wool, they don't count. The ones that are scrawny don't count. The ones that are plump fat, they... No, no, no. The parable says that every sheep counts. Now, are you listening to me? <laughs> because you're going to get into trouble if you are. <laughs> if you're listening to me, every sheep counts. And there are sheep that trouble us. There are sheep whom we find difficult to forgive with God. Every sheep counts. Not just you, not just me. Every sheep counts. So you have the parable of the lost sheep. Then you have the parable of the lost coin. All she has, she has ten coins. She's lost just one, but the problem is, and you and I can't identify with this. Our retirement is in IRAs and uh, four hundred one. Is it four hundred one ks? Is that what they are? But but her retirement, her her security, her security for her whole future, was tied up in her coins. This was this was her dowry, and if something happened to her marriage or something happened to her husband, this was her security and one of those coins got lost and she didn't say so what every coin was important and this again is an illustration of God's love for sinners and then we have this we had this parable of the prodigal son And almost every sermon without exception on the prodigal son is a sermon about if you make this bad decision in your life and you get stupid and you throw away your morality and you throw away your money and you throw away your health and you throw away everything else, you need to come back to God because there's a welcome home with God if you will repent and come home to him. Now, that is true. That is very true. But that is not the point of the parable. The point of the parable was this low-down, selfish, dissipating, rebellious, wicked son was without any human explanation possible loved by his father. The point of the parable is the love of the father. You see, you and I, we think that God loves based on what he sees innate in human beings. And that is absolutely not true. This father had two sons. One was as low down and worthless and stupid. And I say that word not profanely, but very carefully. He was stupid because sin is sanity, insanity, I should say. Sin is insanity. So this worthless son who blows a huge inheritance on a lot of nonsense loses his health, becomes diseased, and ends up feeding himself with pig feed. He's not the hero of the story. The hero of the story is the father. The hero of the story is the father, and the father is God and God loves us not because not because of the life we live. He loves us because of His Son, Jesus Christ, who died for us on the cross. And God's love for you as an individual is not measured by who and what you are. It is measured by who and what God is. Listen to me, believer. There are stumbling Christians... There are Christians that make tragic and stupid mistakes in their lives. But God loves them as much as he loves the others who don't do that. Mm -hmm. Not because of what's in these children of his, but because of his nature. And because of the investment he has in them in the death of his son upon the cross for their sins. Now hear me the older son or the other son just choked on that. Just choked on that. I have lived a good life. I've served my father faithfully. I have have been loyal. I have worked hard. I have done everything that I should do. How can my father tolerate this and forgive this? Ooh. Ooh. Now, let's look a little more closely. In your notes, the attributes of God at work in forgiveness. His love is at work. His mercy, which is His compassion and grace, that's His divine favor, is at work. His justice is at work through the work of the cross. His righteousness is at work. Certainly, His power... Is at work, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's God's power resulting in salvation for everyone who believes. God's goodness is at work in His forgiveness. And His truthfulness because He promises everyone who is believing into Him will not perish but will have everlasting life. His truthfulness is at work. And the nature of God's forgiveness illustrated in the parable of the prodigal son is based on unconditional love. May I suggest to you that not a one of us would ever be saved or loved by God if God's love toward us was not unconditional. That's true. Nobody would be saved. Now, God saved me from a life of wickedness because he saved me as a boy. And he saved me out of the sinful life that so many go through and the the, the many things that people get into that mess up their life. God delivered me from that. But I didn't deliver me from that. God delivered me from Mm -hmm. that. And if you have had a past like mine, you did not have that past because you did it. You only have it because of God's mercy and grace Mm -hmm. to you. Every one of us is e- hear me. Every one of us is equally beholden to the grace of God. Every one of us, not some of us. Every one of us is underscore equally beholden or indebted to the grace of God. Every one of us, as believers, this forgiveness of this prodigal was unconditional, based on unconditional love. And it was a total and complete forgiveness regardless of the seriousness of the offense. This is what his brother could not countenance. He choked on it. It does not matter how bad in the eyes of man or in the eyes of God the wickedness is. There is total and complete forgiveness regardless of the seriousness of the offense. And the next one I love. I love this. There is a total restoration of the relationship. We are sons and daughters of God by faith in Jesus Christ. There is a total restoration of the relationship. Now you will notice the next. Because you'll say, wow. Wow, that means there was no difference then after, after the forgiveness, there was no difference between the obedient son and the disobedient son. Oh, no, no, I beg to differ with you on that. Because the father said, look, as he tried to reason with the other son, he said, look, look, everything I have is yours. He's lost everything. He can't get back what he lost. But, but you've got everything. There is a difference. There is a total restoration of the relationship. Sonship is completely and fully restored on the part of the prodigal. But consequences from the past remain in the present life. Dr. Bob Jones Sr. used to say, if when you're unsaved, you get in a drunken brawl, and somebody knocks out your eye, God will forgive your sin completely. You'll be totally a son of God, but as long as you live in this life till the resurrection, you will be a one-eyed Christian. It's not because you're punished, it's because there are things, there are consequences that are inherent in, 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 in your past. And you you can't you can't you can't get back the life that you threw away and that you lost. You can't get back the years or the months, you can't get that back. But you can get back every minute from today on. Mm-hmm. You have a clean page today with nothing written on it, and you can start new. Amen. And there is a total a total restoration of your relationship with God and the rest of your life you can enjoy a walk with God, blessing of God, and if I read the parables right, great reward from God as you faithfully serve Him the rest of your life. They didn't like it when they came in and the early ones were promised a certain wage, this... They came in hourly, and everybody was promised the same wage, and at the end, they, they all got the same wage, and the one that came first, they said, that's not fair. God said, look, my heart's generous. Are you, you, you Do you have difficulty with that? Do you have a problem, problem with that? That uh, my heart's generous? So it's not all lost. You can't get back the money you threw away. Not that money, but God can give you something in his place. So there was a difference between the sons. And there was a future of unlimited prospect and blessing for life. Now, the other son, the good son, was not willing to forgive his brother. That was the problem. Now... As believers, as believers, our forgiveness of other people in our lives—many who may be greatly indebted to us, as far as what they've done to us or for us, or or, or, or things that have affected us—in sometimes very, very significant ways, the necessity of forgiveness becomes an issue. And we, Jesus said, we are forgiven, conditioned, and this is as believers. This is not for salvation, but it's conditioned on our willingness to forgive those indebted to us personally. The Lord's Prayer, as we call it, it's really the prayer the Lord taught the disciples to pray. But In Matthew, after this manner, you are to pray, hallowed. Is, hallowed is, is to be the Father's name his kingdom is to come and then he says in verse number 12 forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors forgive us our debts just like we forgive those who are indebted to us or forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Now forgiveness is the issue here. It is a big issue in the heart and mind of God. Because if you will look at verses 14 and 15. If you forgive men their trespasses. Your heavenly father will also forgive, your, forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses. Neither will your father forgive your trespasses. We need to be very careful. And we need to be very honest. In this matter of forgiveness of others. The older son in the prodigal parable. Was totally unwilling. To take the forgiveness that he had received from God. And bestow that same thing. On his own brother. The American Standard says if you do not forgive others then your father will not forgive your transgressions. Hear me. This again is not talking about salvation. If I am just totally set that I am not going to allow others to receive from me the same forgiveness that God has given me God says, you cannot expect restored fellowship with me. You are not in partnership with me. Fellowship with God is partnership with God. Mm -hmm. You cannot be in partnership with me. You can't be in fellowship with me because I'm a forgiving God and you've got to be a forgiving person, a forgiving Christian. And if you are not, then you and I are not in fellowship. It's that simple. An unforgiving Christian is walking outside of partnership with God, because God does not behave that way. God does not behave that way. And in Matthew 18, one of the most powerful passages that we have, that we have in the New Testament on this subject, and I'm going to read the New American Standard text. It's a rather lengthy one, but it's on page nine of the notes. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, you'll notice in brackets here, I put between 10 and 12 million dollars. Anybody like to have a debt that big? Then wouldn't that be wonderful? Owe somebody 10 to 12 million dollars. This guy bought a real fancy car. (laughs) i don 't know what he did, but he owed him ten to twelve million dollars. I looked that up in several several sources, and it had to be at least that much. I mean the guy really had a bad debt, and of course if he had if you had a debt that that big you wouldn't be able to pay it i wouldn't be able to pay it so this This guy was brought to him, and since he did not have the means to repay, his lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all he had, and repayment to be made. so the slave fell to the ground prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me, I will repay you everything. Now that, I don't know how in the world he expected to do that. (laughs) The Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave the debt. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owned him 100 denarii. That's $5,800. That's what that is. And he seized him and began to choke him and say, pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell at the ground, began to plead with him, saying, have patience with me. I will repay you. But he was unwilling and went and threw him into prison until he should pay back what was owed. So when his fellow slave saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, you wicked slave. May I ask you something? When you and I have been forgiven such a debt of sin to God and we cannot forgive somebody with a small debt to us, how wicked is the heart of a man or a woman like that? That is wicked. It's not only hateful, it is wicked. You wicked slave. I forgave you all that debt. I forgave you over $10 million. And this guy that owes you $5,000? And you're going to treat him like that? This is powerful stuff. We receive forgiveness, and we need to give forgiveness. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you, and his Lord moved with anger? Handed him over to the torturers. This is why I used the New American Standard. The word is torturers here. An unforgiving man is a tortured man. An unforgiving woman is a tortured woman. Until he should pay all that was owed him. My Heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother. Now notice the last three words. Help me with what the text says will not forgive his brother from your heart. It means will not forgive willingly and gladly. Not grudgingly. Willingly and gladly. God sets a standard. The the, the only way that any of us can get to heaven is if God forgives us totally, if he justifies us. If if God doesn't forgive us in this way, there's no way none of us, not a one of us, can ever get to heaven if God is not this way toward us. And what gives us the idea that it's okay for, for debtors like we are not to turn around and give the same to others as God has given to us? What a lesson that we have in this. I have two verses here, and I want to hurry on. Ephesians 432, be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving each other. Now, here's it. Just as, even as, just like, in the same way as God in Christ also has forgiven us you. And I like Ephesians 5, 1, and I've, I've I've highlighted the New American Standard because the word followers in King James is the Greek word mimic. Mimic. And, and the New American Standard says, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in what? Love. Just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. How do you imitate God? You imitate God by loving other people to the extent that you will give them a complete forgiveness. You will restore them to complete fellowship. You will do it from your heart. Now there may be issues if money has been stolen it needs to be repaid. There may be issues that need to be cleared up. But on the issue of forgiveness, and especially for personal offenses and hurts, with some cultures, honor is a huge thing. And you lose your honor, you are in shame, and the last thing you would do is to shame someone. But our Lord Jesus bore our shame so that we can forgive. We can forgive. Be imitators of God. That's my challenge to you as we wrap this up today. You and I owe a tremendous debt. We owe our life, our breath. We we owe everything we have to God and His grace. And as Jesus Christ loved us in the same way, we're to imitate. We're to imitate God. And love others and give ourselves in a sacrificial way. Now, if you become a sacrifice for somebody else's benefit, that hurts. You've got to eat up a lot of hurt to do that. What in the world did Jesus do on the cross when he died for our sins? He ate up all the hurt and the pain and the wrath of God for our sins. That's what he did for us. He didn't just somehow... As on a whim to send all our sins away. He paid. Emotionally. Physically. Spiritually. He paid an enormous price. In order to restore us to himself. The imitators. Of God. As dear. Children. Paul says. In Philippians. And it's not in your notes here. But Paul said. Do nothing from selfishness. And by the way, unforgiveness is the ultimate selfishness. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind. You humble yourself. Regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude, this way of thinking. This mental process in yourself, which was in Christ Jesus, although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard his equality of God as something he was going to hold on to. He traded his honor for your shame and my shame. He did not hang on. He did not grasp his equality with God. He emptied himself of himself. He became a bond servant. He was made in the likeness of men, and that was humiliating. He humbled himself. He became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Let this attitude be in you. When Jesus was talking to these Pharisees, they had no conception of the love of God, the heart of God for man, the way that God Thinks God does not think like those scribes and Pharisees thought, and he doesn't think like most of us Christians think. His thought was totally for the benefit of other people at whatever personal cost was necessary so that he could bring us into a completed fellowship with God. Wow. It's the ultimate love. And Paul says of the love of God, hear me now. When it comes to relationships, love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. Love. May the Holy Spirit of God just touch us today. Number one with a sense of enormous gratitude for the abounding grace of God in our lives, which goes beyond comprehension. May He give us that gratitude, and then may He give us a filling of His Holy Spirit so that we will pass that same grace and forgiveness on to everybody in our world. Everybody in our world everybody in our world. The burden will be lifted and where there's forgiveness and restoration there's joy and there's peace, there's prospect and there's hope. And the reason you and I have such a wonderful prospect for the future is because God has let go of all of our sins. Now, dear Christian, let go. Let go of all of the sins of others in our world and in our lives. Heavenly Father, how can we understand your heart? We just can't. We we read it in your word, and we've experienced in our lives the joy of forgiveness. And God, I just pray that somehow our lives might be an extension of the heart of God, into the lives of other people. Make this possible, dear Lord, by filling us with your Holy Spirit. Thank you that you are love. God is love. Thank you that that is your nature. Thank you that your love never fails. And by your Spirit, help us, our Father, to be imitators of God. God, I pray that there might be those that are watching today, listening to us, who will cry out to the Lord Jesus for forgiveness. Lord Jesus, save me from my sin. I receive you today as my Savior. May this be a day in which they understand for the first time in their lives that their sins are forgiven and they are justified by the grace of God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Father, touch lives, save precious souls, we pray. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen.